0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Spread. I'm very excited to be back for our first episode of the new year after a bit of a hiatus. I'm here with Tim Bartle, CEO of sports footwear startup Velis. And Tim is not only an entrepreneur, but he's also a massive sports industry veteran, formerly leading sales at outdoor footwear brand Keen, as well as apparel giant Columbia and DC Shoes. Welcome to The Spread, Tim.
1: Oh, thanks, Carrie. appreciate the introduction and much respect for all your success with Butter Studios.
0: Thanks so much, Tim. Great to have you here. I'm super excited to talk about all of your experience working in the industry, as well as everything you've built with Vellus. Tim actually recently sent me a couple of pairs of Vellus shoes, and I've been wearing them maybe more than I should because they're meant to be for recovery, but they're just so comfortable it's- that. You can wear them all day. There's
1: nothing wrong with that.
0: Well, I certainly have been. It kind of feels like walking on a cloud. Glad
1: you love them because that's what they're intended to do.
0: Yeah, they are really fantastic. Before we get into that, since you have so much awesome experience in the sports footwear industry, I would love to kind of just start off with a splash and hear about Perhaps your wildest experience you had running sales for one of these big brands, Keen, Columbia.
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of great brands and a lot of great people. So that's a great question. I think there's so many really exciting times having worked with Nike back in the day and definitely the growth of Keen, the growth of DC shoes. But one of the things is I also ran Saks Underwear. So that's interesting when you talk about that question is, when I was up at D.C. in Vancouver, British Columbia, I joined them in 2014, 2015. We started scaling the brand. It was interesting because we were really trying to get more brand exposure for the brand in the U.S. And I had worked with a gentleman named Mark Woolsey, who was awesome marketing executive that worked with at Nike and also done some great stuff at D.C. Shoes. And so I partnered with him and we wanted to build some key ambassadors to get brand exposure as well as obviously grow the business and scale, one of the things that uh, we started looking at some athletes and the first very ambassador we signed was Ken Block, the late Ken Block, who was amazing at DC and turning his career into from running and creating DC Shoes with Damon Way to a phenomenal rally car driver, as well as the person responsible for the amazing, successful Jim Gymkhana series. We signed Ken and then quickly after that, we signed Jake Arietta and being from the Midwest. I know you're from Chicago. We signed Jake Arietta from the Chicago Cubs at the time. And then also we signed Kevin Love from the Cavaliers at Cleveland. That year in 2016 really got going with the brand. And just by chance, the Cubs won the World Series that year from a long hiatus. And that was amazing. And to be a part of that and being in the stands and getting to celebrate that with Jake was amazing. And then Kevin Love getting it done with LeBron and the Cavaliers won the NBA championship that year. So talk about a splash. I mean, that was one thing that comes to mind was the planets couldn't have been aligned better. And then, of course, Ken Block with his amazing success with hundreds of millions of views with the Gymkhana series. I think that particular year was pretty amazing and definitely one I'll remember for a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's rare that all of that ends up happening within one year. It sounds really exciting. Yeah. If that was maybe the most exciting year that you had, what was one of the biggest challenges that you had running sales for any of these brands that you...
1: For. Yeah, it, I think some of the challenges were, there's never a straight, when you're growing a brand, there's never a straight line, right? And I think there's always those years where there's downturns and those are, and I think we've had them at most all the brands I worked with. And those are usually the hardest ones, you know, back into the Nike days where you're having layoffs, you're having to let some good colleagues go from a downsizing standpoint. And those are usually the toughest times, I think when you're tightening your belt and really looking to continue to grow, but are having some challenges, whether it be the headwinds in the marketplace or the particular repositioning of the brand. But I think those are really some of the more difficult times. And, you know, I think I've experienced those across several of the brands that I've worked with in the past.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've also gone through that too, working at various startups in the past. And on that note, What inspired you to make the jump from corporate to running a startup? Because it's a huge transition and a huge difference.
1: Yeah, gosh, that's a very good question. I think I've always had a little bit of the entrepreneurial bug in me, I think, and love the energy that kind of growing my career through the sales channel. I love that energy and building a team and building successful teams and working with great, great people along the way. Well, oh, good examples. While I was at Columbia Sportswear, there was a brand called Montrail. Montrail was a trail running brand based out of the Northwest that Columbia had purchased. And they also had, before recovery footwear and recovery sandals was known in the market as a growing piece, a segment of the business, they had some recovery sandals and the Molokini, Molokai. And those really became one of my favorite supportive sandals. And I remember at Outdoor Retailer just they had these small little ovens, a little bit of heating up the foam and having people step in it to kind of form to their foot. And there was a line around the corner and there was a lot of energy at Outdoor Retailer, but I specifically remember that. Of course, I had and were wearing the pairs along with my other Columbia footwear, but I had those all around Europe and I really had an affinity to really see what the excitement was with that recovery business. And then fast forward, I had the opportunity to go run Saks underwear up in Vancouver. So I'd left Columbia and went up and joined the small team up in Vancouver, British Columbia to run Saks. And after we did that and scaled it and we ended up bringing in some outside investment and I left and came back to Portland. I always had that memory about recovery sandals. And I went over to, based in Portland here, went over to Portland Running Company and bought a pair of the market leader's. And I tried those on, and what I found for myself was just a little too soft, maybe not providing enough support. And after having those Montrose sandals, I was like, okay, I think there's an opportunity. And then seeing the massive growth of the category in general kind of inspired me to say, there's an opportunity here. And so I called one of my former colleagues, Brad Bischel, who I worked with years at, Way back in the day at Nike, we worked on projects at Foot Locker. He was on the product side, I was on the sales side, and then he also was, I had an opportunity to work with Brad at Columbia and also Keen. And I called Brad, I think I caught him at the Home Depot and I said, Brad, I think there's an opportunity. And I was passionate about telling him where I think the white space in the category was and really coming up with something that was not just soft foam, but was something that was a lot more thought through in terms of offering a lot more support arch support, four foot flexibility. I said, think about it and let's come back and see what we can do to possibly put something together. So long story short is he came back and we started ideating on that concept. And then we pulled in our third partner, the three of us, Brad Damon, Damon Butler, who was successful in his own right of doing a lot of the early stage Teva sandal designs for the Decker's brands. He was at Adidas, a lot of experience, a great technical designer and brought his creativity into the conversation. And that's how we really kicked off. And all three of us decided, you know, we have something here. That is when we decided to get going. And I was always supporting the executive team and other brands. And I thought this was an opportunity to make the bridge. And I had a lot of what I would call inspired leaders that I saw along the way, whether it be Trent Kitsch from Sax Underwear and him starting that brand and seeing other successful entrepreneurs i said this is the time so let's go so we did
0: very cool and it's funny that you say that that call happened at home depot is that right
1: he was at home depot i think i always find my quiet time i like to go to the library and sometimes just sit in the library and ideate and do some work and i left the library locally here and i called him and he was at home depot doing some things so and that was kind of a funny story but yeah
0: yeah, it reminded me that I do a lot of my best thinking at this, now that I live in Berlin, at this European sport. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Out, retailer called Decathlon.
1: Yes, very familiar with them.
0: Yeah. It's funny how some of these conversations have happened in unexpected places. What would you say has been the biggest challenge transitioning from corporate to startup? Maybe something that you didn't expect?
1: Great question. I think the one thing is when you're plugging into brands that already have a really solid foundation, which has really been the case. Obviously, when I joined Nike, it was just $1 billion at the time. And obviously, they're a much, much larger brand. And the other brands, DC Keen, had already been somewhat established and were on that upward trajectory, as well as even Saks had, was early stages, but was really getting some good success. You have that support network. You have somewhat of brand recognition and you have, you know, a little bit of a team in place already and sometimes a larger team in place, making that transition from more of an operator role or a sales role into running your own company is you're doing everything. And I think the entrepreneurs out there understand you're from downloading UPC codes and you're really learning a lot. And I learned a lot, even with years of experience, just learning different things. You're the one that's really diving into all aspects of the business. And that's really the biggest transition that I found myself into. And sometimes you can get a little far into the weeds and sometimes you have to reach out to some friends to pull them in. And we've done that along the way. And there seems like there's different stages that you go through, but we're still in the a little bit of the earlier stages, but that's probably the biggest transition is you don't have that foundation of you're building, you're building a brand and building awareness, but you don't have... A bigger team in place to mm-hmm. help support. So
0: mm-hmm. that's it. And do you have an man. example of maybe something specific that you've worked through that came up that you didn't expect running a startup?
1: You're diving into a lot of the legal aspects, like working with lawyers on trademarks. We've run into some challenges there where certain marks are being challenged. So I think that's one example. The other example is cash flow. You have to be really responsible on how and where you're spending the money. And I think that's in the earlier stage growth company or early stage startup. It's really important to continue to drive the top line. And at the same time, we launched during the pandemic. And actually, we were doing the product development during the pandemic. So we never had any opportunity to partner with our factory. In the development, we were doing everything via video calls as well as samples going back and forth. And sometimes things get lost in translation. So that kind of extended the time where we could have gone to market earlier. And then coming out of the pandemic, you may know there was a lot of excess disruption in the supply chains. And I think there was lots of excess inventory. So you're trying to launch and talk to retailers when they're sitting on a lot of inventory. so I think that's uh, part of where we just have to be patient and tell our story and get product on people to try and test. And I think we've done that. But yeah, those are some of the examples that you're kind of running into when you're a startup, especially during the times that we went through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a really tricky time to try to be selling a new brand that nobody's ever heard of when retailers are already sitting on a lot of inventory that they're trying to move
1: our products were geared to athletes of all levels and a lot of people need comfortable footwear but especially for runners triathletes cyclists endurance athletes and so when you're going into run shops they're looking at their wall and saying we only have so much room However, now we're getting to the point, those early conversations where I think I have this category covered, but they're now starting to realize uh, many of the retailers that we've opened is that there's an opportunity for a different solution, an opportunity for a better solution. Mm-hmm. And that's the story that we're having to tell and, and getting product on on people's feet.
0: Yeah. I mean, this podcast is about creativity in sports business. And so I'm curious if you could share more about the positioning of how you've gone to retailers or direct consumer as well, telling the story of what makes Vellus something that they would want to buy, especially in instances where it's hard to get into these spaces that are crowded with inventory on hand.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I think what we wanted to do is, uh, as you look at the spectrum of the growth and trajectory of recovery footwear, that marginal difference that can help an athlete I think is really what we're trying to tap into and we really want to try to really help them in their journey of bettering their performance and really helping them minimize the amount of recovery time. So if you start tapping into that we partnered with Dr. Tim Minio, who is a cycle enthusiast has his own cycling team. He also is a foot and ankle surgeon here locally in Portland and a podiatrist. And as we got the first designs back, we really wanted to tap into his expertise on what types of injuries does he see, what types of things that he thinks can help athletes recover. In working with him, we really wanted to come up with something and look at the way the foot goes through the walking phase of the walking motion, I should say, you know, from heel to toe, and then breaking that down into three Areas. What does the heel need as you go through your foot strike motion? What does the midfoot area need? And what does the forefoot need? And so as we were talking about those with him, he was also helping explain like what he sees. And he, the first thing that we came up with in the design from Damon was a nice deep heel cup. So not only just soft foam underneath the heel, but a really nice deep heel cup to help guide the foot. And we kind of built in the bottom and the back of the sandals and the shoes is some guardrails to really keep that alignment in place to help guide the foot. And then when you get, uh, we also worked with the densities of foam, and this was a challenging thing with our factory that didn't want to, to do with multiple densities, but we also worked on different densities of foam. But when you get to the midfoot area, we want to have something where you had some great arch support, not overbearing, but really where you can feel that you have something underfoot. And I wear orthotics normally and what I found with our sandals that I can wear them for hours and most of the day and I don't feel like I'm missing my orthotics because it's Mm -hmm. really almost built like an orthotic. And then as you get to the front, the key thing for the metatarsals to stretch and relax is you need to have flexibilities. And in the design, we worked with flex screws on the outsole of the shoe and flex screws on the inner part of the midsole to allow some nice relaxing stretching of the toes to help the metatarsals stretch and relax in that thought of recovery. And then all that in a nice soft supple uppers that breathe and have breathability. And so it has a little bit of a rocker motion. So all that together, our point of difference really is what we're calling tri-motion. So the tri-motion is really those three areas of what the foot needs to help athletes recover and help athletes recover quicker.
0: You said that the product is really for athletes at any level. So I imagine that elite athletes know about recovery footwear, perhaps know when to use it, but what about trying to reach athletes that are more at an amateur level and maybe have never even heard of recovery footwear? Is that something you're already working on? or?
1: Yeah. And I think it's an educational process because interestingly enough, we've done several focus groups and talking with a lot of people. And I would say is We also, through our website, people will come, will reach out to us and say, you know, I'm not an athlete, would these work for me? And the answer Mm -hmm. is absolutely. Because the way they're constructed, it's really providing that support and cushioning that your feet need. And even if you have issues like plantar fasciitis and some other Mm -hmm. types of issues, the question with, A lot of the better elite athletes are recovery as part of their routine, whether they're working with a coach or they know already themselves that they know they have to. And recovery is not just the footwear, but it's your diet, your sleep, your nutrition, Mm -hmm. your recovery time when you're training. But what you have on your feet, it starts with that. And I think that's where we're working also with just the education process of Recovery to any from the recreational athlete. We had some focus groups in, and the interesting part of when you use the word recovery, a lot of people will say, Well, I'm not injured. I don't need recovery shoes because I'm not injured. So you talk through, Well, we're talking about recovery time and helping your body and helping your feet, ankles, legs recover from your activity, whether you went on a long ride on your road bike or whether you ran several miles or whether you went on a long, long hike and your feet are fatigued. uh, That's really where we're trying to tap into is really helping that process along and really helping people recover and feel better. So it is a little bit of an educational process too. But I think the category in general is growing. A lot of several brands now are jumping in because they're seeing not only the opportunity, but they're seeing the category has momentum. And I think there's more stories to tell. Like for runners, there's not just one or two running shoes that works for everybody. The same thing I think is becoming in recovery is there's different types of footwear within recovery that consumers can have a look at and see which one works best for them.
0: Mm -hmm. And going back to something you mentioned earlier, you mentioned that one of the challenges you faced was the trademarking. It's funny that you bring that up because we at Butter Studio, we do naming work. And I always say that naming is the hardest part of the branding process and have gone through throughout my career, various issues with trademarking and things like that. It's interesting when you're doing so many jobs at a startup that that's one that you brought up. I'm kind of curious if you could tell us about how you came up with the name and the logo and how that process went and maybe some of the things you learned along the way.
1: To your point, it wasn't easy. It was challenging. We had several names. I think our first name that we started with was Restore and that got rejected because there's a foam mattress company that also did slippers. So they were in the category 25. And so we weren't at the point where we could offer a lot of money to buy it. And so we kept ideating on the name and came up with several different iterations that we just submitted. One of the days we were brainstorming and we meet weekly and obviously talk daily, but one of the brainstorming meetings we had was, you know, if you talk about athletes, they exert a lot of velocity in terms of their training. We started playing off that word velocity and that's really how we came up with VELAS. We played with different iterations of the name, but it really was inspired by the velocity in which athletes really put themselves out there and put themselves out there to train, to get better. And so mm-hmm. that was really the whole idea. And then Damon, our creative director and designer, he really came up with the fonts and the logoing and really, really liked it. And so that's how we landed on the V as well as we're using kind of just Velus as the key branding uh, mark.
0: And I'd love to hear a bit more about your process in general. You mentioned team brainstorming that you do frequently. Tell me a bit more about where your team is at now and when you're working on a new idea, whether it's a marketing technique or new product design, what does that process look like?
1: Getting ready to put together, well, we already have our roadmap a little bit together for 2025 in terms of what we want to bring to market. But Brad is really expert on the product side as a product merchant, understanding consumer needs, understanding opportunity in the marketplace, understanding competition, And Damon comes from it from really a strong design standpoint and the creativity of how the foot works and how the elements of what needs to come into the shoe. But when we put it together, Brad and I will usually talk through where we see the opportunity in terms of the building of the line plan. And then he will put a design brief together. Then we'll pull in Damon and really kind of break it down. We're handing off kind of A brief to him to put the designs together. That happens as we go into the regular seasonal planning process. But our team right now is still pretty lean. We're still fairly, uh, everybody's wearing a lot of hats. And Mm -hmm. we do have some contractors, obviously, we're leaning on in the process. But Mm -hmm. it's really the three of us. And then we have some independent sales teams out there. And we're building and looking for filling out the rest of the United States on the sales side. And then we have our 3PL partner that's down in Northern California. That's been awesome. We have several other folks helping us on the e-com side as well as the marketing side. And usually we're contracting those folks out until we continue to scale and get some more permanent positions. But that seems to be working fairly well right now. But it seems to be there's more things you need than you have resources to do. And that kind of goes with a earlier stage startup. So we're moving it along, So which is good.
0: Mm-hmm. And what would you say has been the most challenging aspect as far as marketing and sales goes? Is it acquisition, finding new customers, retaining new customers, finding product market fit?
1: I would say it's, first of all, awareness. Yeah, And we're right now at the point now where I think we have a good foundation with our website and we've done some marketing for our our website, but we haven't really scaled it to where we should. And I think we could, but that's probably one thing. There's still the brand awareness is new as you get out into wholesale channels. And that's multiple touch points with retailers to let them understand kind of where we are, where we're positioning. But what we've done is, I know someone that you're aware of, we've partnered with this past Sidious Mag with Chris Chavez Mm -hmm. and Kyle Merber with The Lap Count and doing things like that, I think, because that really hits our target audience and they've done such an amazing job of building their uh, media business that we're going to be launching that again with them coming up uh, starting next month through the Olympic trials and then be able to partner with them on their podcast as well as the Lab Count newsletter. And doing things like that is great. Connecting with ambassadors to raise awareness and working hard at other aspects of how we market and who we're marketing to to connect with the right consumer. Mm-hmm. But it all starts around how do we raise awareness and continue to get some exposure. And some of that's true with brand ambassadors through their storytelling and how they use the product. And those real life experiences help people maybe pause and say, I should check that brand out. That's worked so far. Again, we don't have a massive budget to go splash on commercials and do that kind of thing yet. And that's something we're working at. And that's a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of trying to continue to take steps at building the brand in phases. Mm
0: -hmm. And have you found any resistance from retailers or potential partners to working with a startup that they haven't heard of since this? There's so many massive brands in the space.
1: It's interesting. We just had this conversation. So we went to the big running industry shows called The Running Event. You may have heard of it down in Austin, Texas. And two years ago, when we first went, there was a lot of curiousness, but then a lot of retailers saying, you know, I'm not really sure. Like you say, that's probably the hesitation from as a startup, not knowing, are you going to be here next year? Kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
1: And as we expanded our booth, this time we were directly across from Nike Running and we had new product that people could test. And I think they were like, okay, we're really starting to see your point of difference. We're starting to see the opportunity that there is in the marketplace. We had a really, really good show and signed on quite a few retailers. And I think that obviously was hesitation from retailers initially, whether it be initially what I talked about of having enough inventory, or now it's at the point now where they're like, okay, I see the opportunity with." your brand. And I see the opportunity in the story that you're telling with mm-hmm. recovery is not just about super soft foam and it's not about real firm foam, but where we fit that void, like right in the sweet spot of offering great support, great cushioning and really help in the recovery process. So I think now the doors are opening in terms of where we could go and where the opportunity is and more of a willingness, I think, from retailers to bring the brand in and support us. Mm-hmm. We actually are thankful on the international side too. So we actually have distribution in Europe. We have a partner in the Benelux with a gentleman that's formerly Dick Weissman, who used to run a brand, a fairly large brand, a couple of brands. He worked with the Decker's brands, but they're also Crocs in Europe. So he's got a lot of experience. Yeah, a former colleague of mine at Columbia that's working with us in the UK and in Ireland and and also in Australia. So a great partner, Phoenix Leisure Group, that covers Australia, New Zealand. They saw the opportunity opened open 50 new retailers the very first season out and doing really well with the brand. And then we have an endurance distributor out of the Southeast Asia, Phil Group, and they are starting to build the brand there. And I think we're having lots of talks with other areas where we'd like to go, including Canada and Japan and Germany, Central America. So it's nice to know that there's an openness and a little bit of an educational process. But even then, to your first point is, There's some hesitation with, let's see where the brand goes kind of thing before we jump on. There can be a little bit of hesitation with some distributors as well as some retailers with this is coming up on our third year. And so there's more openness to say, okay, I know you guys are here to stay. So
0: It's interesting to hear you say that because with my own business, Butter Studio, I felt a transition around year three as well. And it was that repetition, building relationships over time. And it can take that kind of year over year repetition for people to need to see you pop up to build that trust and have people be curious about investing in the brand. So it's interesting to hear a similar timing and very different type of business services.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds interesting for your business as well. And I think that also gives us time to listen, to listen to consumers, listen to the retailers of what they're hearing. And how do we... Continue to elevate the product in terms of coming up with a better version of our first launch. And I think that's what we're, st- as we look into 2025 planning, that's one of the things that we're looking at. How do we continue to fine tune to make the product even better? And that's part of listening to some of the resistance or some of the feedback.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really important point. And another question I had for you along these lines of listening is we've talked a lot about the business and how it's been doing over the first three years and your previous background. And I know as an entrepreneur, I have grown a lot personally from running a business. And I'm curious how that's impacted you. What have you learned or how have you grown personally running this company for the past three years?
1: Yeah, I think when we first talked or spoke I told you I was learning every day and I still am learning every day and I think I think that's really where it's so important to tap into your network you know reach out to people and I think as I've done to other entrepreneurs and other people within the industry but gosh learning really from going from being operator within a bigger brand to really trying to prioritize where you need to spend your time and really the time management piece becomes very very important you're learning all aspects of the metrics within the business, all the various, you know, again, I came up through the sales rank. My expertise is not necessarily in operations or mm-hmm. warehousing or sourcing and importation and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And that's really where you tap into other people. And then you're learning myself learning along the way. And I think that's been the same from our partners, Brad and Damon, really broadening your experience through that learning to help that next stage of growth. We're self-funded right now so we have no investors and I think we're can continue to build the business and at some point though we will we will want to bring in smart money then people that can complement where our needs are as well as believe in the brand and believe where we can go and all of that in that is a learning process well, I was able to work with the board of directors at Sachs and raising money for the brand that again was a learning experience but coming into that you're doing that with a brand that's already established so to be able to build and understand when you want to bring in outside investment? What are the priorities as you take a look at the coming three, six months that you want to get after knowing how to tap into experts that aren't necessarily your strength and then Mm -hmm. learning from that. So that's probably been the the biggest shift for me anyway, personally.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say you're still working on as a sports business leader?
1: Yeah, gosh, I mean, we're still working on I would say everything. (laughs) It seems like that one thing we're not working on. I think there's so many different things that as you scale to get larger partners, you have to make sure you're operationally set up. You know, if you're going to go with a multi-store chain, you got to make sure your infrastructure's set up to to support that. And we're continuing to work on the product evolution. We're really starting to focus in on ramping in our marketing and our digital advertising, understanding what the important things are there that we have to make sure to continue to watch. And customer acquisition is very, very important in terms of kind of where we're tracking there. Overall, our gross margins, working with our factory partner, we're going to be in Asia and Vietnam in May for the first time since a meeting with our factory partner there. Oh, wow. And really diving down on the future evolution of the brand, the product, how we source, what's the best opportunities you break down each part of the footwear to make sure we have the right sustainable materials. We're looking at evolving kind of our looking at bio-based materials in our midsoles. And so anyway, so a lot of different things we're working on. That's why I kind of throw out, you just have to prioritize for that particular day or week, what are you going to get after to make sure that you're definitely juggling a lot of balls and looking after a lot of parts of the business as a smaller brand, a smaller company.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And along those lines, are you, in addition to the recovery story and how the product is differentiated there, you mentioned Using sustainable materials, I'm curious if there's another differentiator, whether it's in sustainability or something else that is part of the story you're going to market with.
1: Yeah, I would say when we launched our initial sandals, it was more about the biomechanics of the foot, Mm -hmm. what the foot needs. I would say now we're looking at. All those elements, but then how do we make the products more sustainable? Mm-hmm. That's how we started looking at bio-based materials. We looked at corn-based materials. We looked at sugarcane materials. We're looking at recycled materials, recycled water bottles in terms of the upper materials. You know, and I think that's a direction for us going forward. So one of the things now is everything we now build and create, we want to make sure that it checks off on all the things that we think need to be in place to make an excellent recovery product. But it also needs to also answer the second part of how can we make things more sustainable? So that's going to be something we continue to look as we grow in our product offering.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely something consumers are demanding now. I think I read a statistic recently that boomers, millennials, and Gen Z, 85% are wanting sustainability in the products they buy.
1: So I see that more and more. And even in our packaging, you know, obviously we're using recycled cardboard. Our poly bags are initially recyclable initially, but now we're using 100% recycled materials in our poly bags going forward in all of our new production. So it's not just only the product, but it's also everything else that kind of goes along with it. And I think that's to your point, uh, Carrie, that I think consumers are... Somewhat looking for that and, you know, somewhat really holding brands accountable for kind of what they stand for and what types of things they have in place to help address those issues around making sure that things are sustainable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fun fact, before I worked in design, I actually worked in operations and it's cool to see how many new materials and things like poly bags and things like that have come up in the past 10 years or so since I was doing that
1: lots of new material you know i think we had like 10 or 12 different ones we looked at and some of them you had to be careful
0: because oh, wow. you know, gosh
1: is it going to tear
0: yeah absolutely
1: is it put my is it going to tear so maybe not that one but then we landed on one that had a nice but yeah i think the packaging was pretty interesting to dive in deeper on that
0: mm-hmm. yeah i'll be very curious to see how the brand continues to evolve and what comes next new products If you end up going for outside funding in the next couple of years and really excited to follow along.
1: Thank you. We're looking forward to it. I think the future is what we're seeing kind of as we launch a new product, we have a new opening price point called the active flip and active slide that will be very competitive in the marketplace and we're evolving our close to offering too. So we have a new slip on that's coming out in June and looking at continuing to evolve where recovery can be an all-day recovery. You know, it's not if somebody's going to work out, they don't want to go maybe before work. They can't wear their sandals into work. So what can you offer? And then there's people we've had, nurses reach out to us that they're on Mm -hmm. their feet all day, other types of people that are looking for comfortable footwear. So we're going to continue to work at evolving that for sure.
0: Awesome. Exciting things ahead. Yeah. So I always like to wrap with the same question, which is... What are three of your other favorite organizations that you think are doing creative things in sports?
1: Yes, I referred more to like brands. Could or be anything. Agencies. Could be brands,
0: yeah. could be agencies, could be athletes, whatever comes to mind.
1: Yeah. I'll mention just a couple. I mentioned Sidious Mag, and I think I really can see the work that they're doing with Chris and Kyle are doing within their team, really, within the track and field community, within running, and just their overall media presence that they've been able to build in a short period of time. And we were introduced to them, former Nike colleague, Chris O'Donnell. And I really appreciate their creativity. I know they worked with you with rebranding. So maybe that's a next step for us to work with you all. And I really appreciated the evolution that they've taken with their, we're excited to partner with them. I'll say another one, Never Second is a endurance hydration sports drink that I think it's really, I met Bill Anderson, the founder at the cycling event down in California and he was showing his brand, but he and his wife have built an amazing brand. They're entrepreneurs themselves. But if you want to check out an amazing brand that's in that category of my wife's a marathon runner and a runner herself. And so mm-hmm. they have different products for hydration and endurance drinks, but never second. So I think they have some very elite cyclists, they have a huge following of ambassadors, and I was pretty inspired by Bill when I was talking with him. So we were exchanging lots of ideas, and he was very, very helpful in a couple of areas. I would say those are a couple off the top of my mind, but yeah, I think those would be good. You know, it's not the big brands, or there's lots of different inspiration throughout that, but those are just a couple that come to mind.
0: Yeah, great. Well, of course, we're big fans of Sidious, and I'm looking forward to checking out Never Second. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Tim. This has been great. And I've certainly really enjoyed learning about your career and how it's been running Vellis. And I'm really excited to follow along and see what's next.
1: Oh, uh, Thank you, Carrie. And best of luck. I know uh, you're a global traveler, but I know you're more permanent home in Berlin. But to see the success you've had with Butter, I'm going to be following you along as well. And like I said, when we get ready, I would love to see if there's opportunity to work together. But no, I appreciate your invitation and uh, it was really great talking with you today.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Tim.
1: Thanks, Gary.